as a concert artist is to bring classical music to more and more people and to make listening to music more than just sitting there and absorbing the sound, pleasant as that might be. World-renowned pianist Jeffrey Siegel joins us again to talk about the upcoming concerts as part of his Keyboard Conversations in 2023. I'm Melissa Green. Welcome to another episode of Heart of the Arts. Jeffrey Siegel is back on Heart of the Arts to talk about his upcoming 2023 season. Thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you for the invitation. It's wonderful to be back. So earlier we spoke a couple weeks ago about how the music speaks for itself. And of course, you're giving conversations at these concerts in a way that Leonard Bernstein would do. But I wanted to ask if it takes like a certain part of the brain to wrap your head around some of it. Can everyone make something of it. We touched on that a little bit last time. Yeah, I I should stress that these programs are for everyone. And I do keyboard conversations, which are concerts with commentary, in uh, many different cities throughout the United States and even in London, England, with my Chicago accent. Um, (laughs) I should explain that they're primarily concerts. Every work on the program is performed in its entirety. What we like to think of the plus, the addition to that, is that prior to the performance of each work, I speak to the audience briefly and in non-technical language about the piece of music that they are going to hear. And I do this with the hope that whatever I say prior to playing that Brahms intermezzo or that Beethoven sonata, whatever I say about the piece of music before performing it in its entirety will make that listening experience more focused more meaningful, more enriched, and also more accessible and inviting for somebody who's never heard the piece before. And in every city in which I do these programs, whether we're talking New York or London or here, the audiences are a mixture of people who are avid music lovers who've heard the Moonlight Sonata all their life, Mm -hmm. and also somebody who might be hearing it for the first time in his life and is looking for what a friend of mine called a gentle introduction into Mm -hmm. the piece. And each program concludes with a short question and answer bit. That's how I know who's really out there. And um, it's, it's, it's a way of making classical music more inviting and more accessible to people. And your goal is to, you just, you mentioned Beethoven and wanting people to feel that it, that kind of connection or that kind of music is necessary in their lives? Necessary is an interesting word, uh, Mm -hmm. Melissa. We're living in the most computerized, automotive, impersonal age there perhaps has ever been. And I take the point of view that therefore the need for a thinking, feeling human being for what great music has to offer is greater now than ever before. And I feel part of my joy as a as a concert artist, is to bring classical music to more and more people and to make listening to music more than just sitting there and absorbing the sound, pleasant as that might be. Yes, active listening is different than hearing something. Right. Actually listening to that which you hear. Mm, Yes. And so you talked about it being a thinking, feeling human being. I just out of curiosity wonder if as an artist, if you have these routines, you know, I know you travel so much and I always wonder, are there certain things in order to kind of keep your mind right that you do on a daily basis, whether it's a morning routine or this is how I rehearse, et cetera. Is there anything that you have to do every day? I I don't know about every day, but I have all my life 
looked for a solution to play the piano well without practicing, and I have not found it yet. Uh, I feel the responsibility of trying to be at my very best, however that is, uh, when I walk out on stage to play. Uh, the audience is taking the time and has spent the money to uh, come to these programs, and they have every right to expect of me the best that I can possibly give. I say this with the understanding that these masterpieces, let's say the Moonlight Sonata of Beethoven, there's no one right interpretation, and you never quite give the performance of it that you'd like to give. It's always something that you're reaching for. And when I talk to my colleagues, we all feel that way. So uh, we want to be at our best when we walk out on the stage to play and um, to give our best. And I think that's that's the goal every time we, we give the concert. Yeah, absolutely. So you'll be back in Scottsdale um, coming January 17th with Immortal Impromptus. That's the next conversation happening. What makes some of these composers on the program immortal? Are they pieces? And does this include learning new things about Friedrich Chopin for returning audience members? Yes, it's a, 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 a wonderful program. This First of all, what do we expect if a composer is titled a piece impromptu? What do we as listeners have every reason to expect? We have every reason to expect it's going to be a very spontaneous, inspired uh, musical creation where, that we're almost there at the moment of birth when the composer gets this bolt of imagination of a musical idea and he sits down at the piano and begins playing whatever comes into his mind at the moment. And then, of course, his craft as a composer takes over and he makes a wonderful piece of music that keeps the freshness of this interpretation, which is something the listener picks up on as you hear these freshly inspired, spontaneous musical creations. And I call the impromptus on this program immortal. We have three impromptus of Chopin and three different impromptus of Franz Schubert. These are amongst the greatest favorites of audiences all over the world in the entire piano repertoire. These are the top of the frequently played pieces, and therefore they've all lasted 200 years plus. They are uh, immortal, immortal impromptus. And we have a work such as the Fantasy Impromptu of Chopin on the program, which is music that's familiar to people who've never been to a concert before because one of the main melodies of the piece has been stolen for a very popular tune. Uh, there's a wonderful story behind this piece of music and the question of why Chopin wrote it. And um, I share all of this with the audience. So that's right. what's behind this particular program. Um, and then you follow up with Musical Valentines on uh, Tuesday, February 21st. So when you build a program like this, is this based on stories or pieces that you find to be the most romantic? This program, Musical Valentines, of course, will be just after Valentine's Day, but love will still be in the air. <laughs> and every piece of music on this program is inspired, inspired by romantic love. Mm. Uh not one of these pieces would be what the piece of music is if it would not be for something going on in the composer's love life when he writes the piece of music. So I might say even some of this is X-rated. <laughs> uh, these pieces would not be what they are without the the love object in the composer's life. And uh, therefore, the piece of music itself has a love interest behind it, so to speak. Uh, I do 
share with the audience what might be going on in Robert Schumann's life when he's writing this particular piece of music. And um, the program will conclude with a piece of music called Love's Joy, which uh, Rachmaninoff transcribed from a violin piece. And uh, I, I, I always say when I do this program that the listener should bring a significant other and you're allowed to hold hands through the compositions <laughs> because all of this is very touching, moving, mm -hmm. exhilarating music uh, that seems to be particularly attractive to human beings. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's an interesting topic because sometimes I'll read a story about someone's lover and the music that they wrote. Do you ever think the composers are embellishing or uh, being too self-loathing when they talk about certain love stories? Or, you know, do you believe in that kind of passion and that's what really made the music? Well, there's a there will be many works of Robert Schumann on the program that I'm to play. Uh, if ever there was a composer who's piano music was inspired by his current love life. That composer was Robert Schumann, and the music, a whole series of piano pieces that he wrote when he was in his 20s, madly in love with a woman named Clara Wieck. And um, he would sometimes write a piece of music and, and, and say, because no letter came from you today. Uh, there are... There are such touching moments uh, in, in, that are musically portrayed by Robert Schumann in various pieces of music of his that any human, any thinking human being, feeling human being can relate to when they hear these pieces. You don't need to know the story behind them because the music itself is so deeply touching and romantic. But when you know what's going on in the composer's life, and sometimes there are letters of Schumann that directly uh, discuss the reason for the inspiration for this piece of music and what it's about. And I share this with the audience very briefly uh, in a preface to playing the work of Schumann. Um, this all becomes much more meaningful as a listening experience and therefore musical valentines. Mm -hmm. It's kind of talking about, you know, how life is, you know, we're well into the digital age. Is some of that, some of those sentiments kind of lost in the 21st century when it comes to Yeah, this music? But this would be a subject, Melissa, for a whole other discussion <laughs> is um, yeah. uh, the, the <laughs> anti-romantic anti nature of our time today where everything is computerized and... Uh, Etc. Yeah. Um, I think one of the reasons that the particularly romantic composers have such an appeal today is that we are sorely lacking in music inspired by the heart, if you will. And mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah. it's not just noise, but real sentiment. And uh, therefore, this particular program, Musical Valentines. And then your last performance in March is Mozart and Friends. So this is this an assortment of your favorite selections by classical era composers? Can you talk about that? Program? Yeah, it's it's a program which in, in in which you very well have described. It's personal favorites of mine. But more than that, um, what pieces of Mozart are there that I believe the audience would particularly enjoy? that are revealing of the real Mozart, and also who are the composers who influenced him, and who are the composers whom he influenced. 
as far as the Mozart are concerned, we're going to have a set of variations that he wrote on Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Now, you hear Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, which everybody knows, and it sounds perfectly complete in itself, which it is. What can even a Mozart do with something that's perfectly complete and very simple with a set of variations? He shows how clever and imaginative he can be to take this very familiar tune, which was just as familiar in his day as it is in ours, and to um, very cleverly dress it up differently in each successive variation. We're also going to have uh, a piece of music that is deeply revealing of the real Mozart. So much of the music that he wrote in his lifetime was for public consumption, was to entertain the public, which is fine. Mm -hmm. But he wrote a couple of pieces, particularly for his instrument, the piano, which are very private and very self-revealing. And it's it's if he's saying, you want to know what I'm really thinking and feeling when I'm not just putting on a good smile to entertain you with my music? Then listen to this adagio in B minor, for example. It shows the inner Mozart as very few pieces of music of his did. Mozart was greatly influenced by mm-hmm. Franz Josef Haydn. Mm-hmm. Uh, he felt Haydn was the greatest composer of his time. And, of course, Haydn felt Mozart was the greatest composer of the time, and they were both correct. Uh, We're going to hear some very humorous music of Haydn on the program. And then we know that Beethoven traveled from Bonn to Vienna as a young man to meet Mozart and to study with Mozart. And we're going to hear some music of Beethoven that uh, might be, if you will, a reaction against some of the... uh, music of Mozart and Haydn that was written, the Mm. stormy Beethoven, if you will, Mm -hmm. where Haydn would have maybe said to Beethoven, I think you've gone too far. (sighs) Uh, We're also going to hear a set of uh, variations that Beethoven wrote on God Save the King, Mm. very popular English national anthem in Beethoven's day. And as with the Mozart variations, it's a tune everybody knows. So you can appreciate all the more what the composer is doing to take this very popular tune, very complete in itself, and dressing it up with successive variations. Did Mozart and uh, Haydn use humor when they couldn't completely compose or be themselves in the music the way they wanted to? Uh, Both of them were composers who wrote uh, for a specific occasion. Mm-hmm. They rarely wrote just what they feel, mm-hmm. uh, which is what makes that B minor adagio of Mozart, which will be on the program, so meaningful for us. Yeah. It's as if we're looking into the private Mozart. Uh, they would write music that they know would entertain their public, which was the goal of the composer in their day, was to write music as if to say to the public, after all, all is well in the well-ordered world. But, of course, being the great human beings they were, they were writing more than just uh, happy, entertaining music. And uh, we have happy, entertaining music in in abundance on this program, but we also have some of the more personal stuff. And we're also going to have a work of Hummel. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hummel uh, was a pupil of Mozart's, actually lived in the Mozart household as a young man for two years and was one of the leading composers of the day. He wrote a very interesting and very humorous piece of music that could be easily mistaken for Haydn or Mozart, and I will share that with the public as well. Excellent. Yeah, just getting these little bits of information is Really cool. It's fun to just kind of knock around uh, questions, you know, and just back and forth how Beethoven was obviously responding to 
them being maybe a little superficial and them thinking Beethoven was a little too, like he said, hey, you got to tone it down a notch. Yes, that's well, well, well put. But Beethoven didn't turn anything down a notch for anybody. <laughs> and um, we, hear, we hear the Mozartian influence on Beethoven, but we also hear the emerging young Beethoven to come. Yes. Cool. And then what else do you have planned for 2023 and beyond as we head towards a new year? When uh, when we will come out with the uh, – we, we have fixed the dates for next season, so I'm happy to say that we definitely will be continuing next season mm-hmm. with Keyboard Conversations. And I have several different programs in mind. And uh, what the four programs will wind up being here is something I am to discuss with my friend Brian Passy and with uh, Abby at the uh, Abby Mesmer at the Scottsdale Center. We we do a collaborative effort in choosing which programs there will be. This is the joy, Melissa, of the piano literature. It is a storehouse of great musical riches. One can't know it all, let alone play it all. Mm-hmm. And it's always difficult for me to limit myself to four programs a year to play here and and in the other cities where I give the four concert series because there's so much great music of so many great composers for the piano that I'd like to share with our audience that I know they will enjoy, they'll be moved by, they'll find interesting. And it's always difficult for me to therefore limit it, if you will, to four programs and which four programs and what compositions of which composers will go on the four programs and... um, it's because there is such a wealth of great music to choose from that it becomes very difficult for me to choose what repertoire will be heard on the program. But there certainly will be some great music to be consumed. <laughs> yeah, it's always there, um, something new to discover. Like I mentioned, I was talking with Leif Oba-Ansnes, and his new album is Dvorak's Poetic Tone Pictures and just piano pieces he wasn't, he had just discovered. So, right. And you just played a new version of Bernstein's music, so it's exciting that, like you said, there really is always something new to put on the programs. And I feel one of my loves in doing these programs is to share music with our audience, like the Moonlight Sonata, which is very well known. But when you know what's behind this Moonlight Sonata, you yes. hear it with greater appreciation and, and it means more to you. Um, but I also like to share with the audience the pieces that are off the beaten track that they may not otherwise know. And therefore, to make the gift for the audience of introducing them to a piece of music they might not otherwise know and go a whole lifetime without hearing and be able to give the gift to them of this new piece of music in their life. The gift that keeps on giving live musical performances. Well, Mr. Siegel, thank you so much for coming into the studios to share all of this wonderful knowledge with us. And we're looking forward to... 2023. Thank you very much. You've asked wonderful questions. (laughs) Thank you. We'll see you again soon. Thank you. That's world-renowned pianist Jeffrey Siegel, who returns to Scottsdale this year with his keyboard conversations beginning January 17th with Immortal Impromptus, February 21st with Musical Valentines, and March 14th with Mozart and Friends. You can find more information and tickets at scottsdaleperformingarts.org. For KBOX Heart of the Arts, I'm Melissa Green.